The reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Well, if you're not a regular here at St. Stephen's, you won't know that we've been going through some of the 39 articles. The 39 articles are um, 39 statements of what the Anglican Church believes, some of the theology or doctrine that undergirds the Anglican Church and uh, what we're about. And so we're doing things a little bit differently. We, we just heard Luke give a Bible reading, and normally we spend all our time on the Bible reading, but for these uh, few weeks on the 39 articles, we've been looking at the articles themselves. And there's been normally a link to the Scriptures, but we haven't been doing it in the same kind of way. Uh, last week, if you were here, we had quite a, uh, a personal and provocative subject that we looked at. We were examining the resurrection of Jesus, and we were confronted with the reality of death, uh, especially our own death. If you were here, you may remember uh, the words of uh, Johnny Cash echoed uh, around the hall. We can run on for a long time, we can run on for a long time, we can run on for a long time, but sooner or later, God will cut us down. But we saw the incredible difference that the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus makes. Uh, you've got to know the reality of death, but then you've got to know and understand the, the, the brilliance of the resurrection. Everything's changed because he rose. Death has lost its sting. And in a, in a week where we've lost Martin Yeoman, and when I num know a number of others here this morning have the imminence of death casting a shadow, it was very timely last week to be able to say, he is risen, and to remember the difference that that makes. And if you weren't here last week, uh, and this is something you've been thinking about or wrestling with, or even if it's not, you should, uh, then I'm sure the talk's probably online and you can have a listen. Well, today we're on a much less... Uh, personal topic. It's a much less emotive topic and I've been worrying about that because oh, it doesn't have the same kind of punch as, as last week. But we don't always need that emotional punch and we get it in different ways, don't we? I could keep singing Rock of Ages <laughs> for ages. Uh, there's the emotional punch. Um, we sometimes move on too quickly in parts of the service, don't we? We should have just paused for a moment and said, How, what a privilege to have the Rock of Ages. Uh, this, but this week is, is less powerful in that sort of way, but we're thinking about the church. We're thinking about the church. What do you think of when I say church? What do you think, perhaps more importantly, what do you think the world thinks of when it hears of the church? I would imagine it's pretty negative. 
Uh, you can disagree with me if you like and we can talk about it afterwards, but I would imagine that the sorts of things people think of when, when the word church comes up is declining numbers, ageing congregations, uh, something of a bygone era, kind of old-fashioned, stuffy, irrelevant, uh, perhaps even more seriously, they might talk about it being plagued by scandals. Uh, we could go on and on. And I wonder if, even without even being aware of it, we can start to think of the church in a, in a similarly kind of pessimistic way, a, a sad or negative way. We can think of it as, as just a human institution, something that's got much less uh, influence in society than it once enjoyed. Uh, a lot of congregations, you have to admit, look pretty unimpressive from a worldly point of view. And we can start to think of it as a weak, uh, perhaps dying institution. And so today uh, I want to look at four of the 39 articles that speak about how the Anglican denomination views the church. And I just want to pick up a, a, a couple of things to focus on to hopefully challenge the way we see the church and what we think of when it uh, comes to mind. Uh, this is another topic which is massive and um, you could deal with it in a number of different ways under a huge amount of headings. So forgive me for all the things I'm not saying. You've got to pick and choose. Um, but I've, I've picked out four things I'd just like to touch on uh, this morning when we think about the church. So let's have a look. Can we, Dave, have a look at Article 19? Is that behind me? Article 19, of the church. The visible church of Christ, forgive the uh, old-fashioned language, but hopefully you'll be able to pick up the meaning of it, of the church. The visible church of Christ is a congregation of faithful people in which the pure word of God is preached and the sacraments be duly ministered according to Christ's ordinance and all those things that of necessity are requisite to the same. As the church of Jerusalem, Alexandria and Antioch have erred, so also the church of Rome hath erred, not only in their living and manner of ceremonies, but also in matters of faith. Now I'm not, not going to speak about the last part of that where it kind of the Anglican church feels the need to put the boot into all other denominations. Um, but you can see what they're doing. They're saying as they establish the church and what we, well, why another church? Why another denomination? And here is an acknowledgement that all churches and denominations, because of the human component, go off the rails at times. That's why we, every now and then you have to change. Every now and then you have to reform. Every now and then you may have to break away. Or So it's, it, it's acknowledging that, but I'm not going into that this morning. But let me pick up the four things I would like to bring to your attention. Just have a look at the first line of that article. The first thing is, it makes clear that the church is the church, what does it say? Of Christ. Of Christ. That may sound obvious, but it's, and it is obvious, but it's crucial. We are the church of Jesus Christ. He is our head. He is our king. It is not the church of popes. It is not the church of bishops or synods or vicars or vestries. It is the church of Christ. Uh, Ephesians 1 verse 22 says, and God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. Think of those images in the New Testament of the church. We are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. He is our head. He's the one in charge. I don't know whether you've ever thought about that before, but that the church is not a democracy. Uh, we're not, the good news is we're not going to spend all of eternity voting. That's not what's going to happen. The, the church is a theocracy with Jesus, who's God, as its head. 
I was talking with the staff this week about this because I knew it was coming up and, um, and Lee, uh, our children's worker, came up with a great quote on this. She said, the church without the head is just a body dead. There you go. The church without the head is just a body dead. I thought this must have been some profound South African well-known quote. And I said, Lee, just say that to me again. I really like the way that sounds. And she said, oh, the, the church has got Jesus kind of over it. And um, I said, no, it rhymed. It rhymed. And she couldn't remember it. She just made it up off the top of her head. Lee, if you don't know, is a brilliant freestyle rapper. Think about it again. The church without the head is just a body dead. That's totally true. Without Christ, we're nothing. The church is his. The church is not just a denomination or a leader. Uh, It's Christ's church. And therefore, it's got a value and a power and an honour that we should have confidence in and know. When you think of the church as just a declining, weak thing, remember it's Christ's. That gives it a dignity and a worth and a power that we can't even talk about. It also gives it its, its value. Do you remember one of the tricky things we've had to deal with over the last six months here as a, a church is what happened with Jimmy? And one of the things that I said as I talked to our church family is that it's a reminder for us that we do not put our faith in human beings because all human beings, no matter who they are and what part of the church family they are, we will let each other down. We will do things that let each other down. The Lord Jesus won't. And it's a privilege that it's his church. It's a privilege and an honour that we're his body and his bride. So firstly, the church is Christ's. Secondly, you can see there again in the first line, that we're going to move faster after the first line, but secondly, the church is a congregation. Again, see it there in the line? Uh, the visible church of Christ is a congregation of faithful people. Again, this is obvious, But obvious doesn't mean not important, very important. And the significance of this is easily missed. As Christians, we are not just individuals. The Christian faith is not just an individualistic faith. It's true that we have a personal relationship with the Lord. It's true that there's a sense we can talk about us being individually born again, but that is never in isolation. And in a world and a culture which has become more and more individualistic, this is becoming a bigger danger, I think, for the church. Right from the start, it's clear in the scriptures the Lord gathers his people. There is a fundamentally corporate aspect to the life of believers. Uh, The word used most commonly, commonly in the New Testament for church in the Greek is what? Ecclesia. And what does that mean literally? Gathering just means gathering. doesn't even really have to be a Christian gathering, although we use it in that sense. The church is the gathering of God's people. It's corporate. And God always does that. As soon as he rescues his people from Egypt, what's the first thing that happens? They gather around Mount Sinai before the voice, the word of God. Every year they would gather in the temple to worship and praise and do the sacrifices to God. Right in the, in the New Testament, they gather together as the people of God. We looked at this a little while ago when we t- thought about the Trinity. God has made us as human beings to need each other, to need to be together, to gather. We need to church. T- church is not just a noun, it's also a verb. We are not just a church, we church as we gather together. It's a verb as well. Now, as soon as you think that way, there are some challenges for us. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. 
Have a think about that statement for a moment. It's said quite a bit nowadays. I don't have to, ch- I don't have to go to church to be a, cr- a Christian. That's a sentiment that is pretty common uh, today and there's an element of truth to it. Trust in the Lord Jesus um, is at the heart of the Christian faith and you can do that whether you're by yourself or with others. I take it that if you're living in a country where you're imprisoned for your faith in the Lord Jesus, as some are, and you're put in kind of solitary confinement and you can't meet with other Christians, are you still a Christian? Are you still saved? Yes, you are. But can I say the attitude behind I don't have to go to church to be a Christian is profoundly unchristian? And can I challenge you on that? Because in Christian terms, uh, in God's eyes, we are a people, not just individuals. We are a body, not just parts of the body. We are to love and obey God and love others before ourselves. So what suits me is not the key thing. It's what God asks of me and how I can serve my brothers and sisters. And that should be evident in our lives and our church life. And I, I mention this because I, I do worry that we've, we've got into the habit of looking for self-fulfilment in church. It better feed me today. Uh, better move me today. Better encourage or strengthen me today. Rather than the attitude of coming to church, I hope the Lord gives me an opportunity to encourage someone else today. I hope the Lord gives me a, a chance and a conversation or sitting down where I can be of, of help or benefit or blessing to someone else. Do you see the difference? We come to church uh, not just because we think God wants us to, not just to to feed feed my need, but to encourage others by my presence. Are you encouraged as you come in here on a Sunday and you see lots of other brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, lots of other different walks of life and different ages and stages? It's an encouragement. We encourage each other just by being here. It was just me that turned up and my family. I see enough of them at home. I wouldn't be encouraged. I love my family, but I wouldn't be as encouraged as you walk through the doors and it's so good to see people, see brothers and sisters in Christ. I get encouraged. If I sang Rock of Ages by myself, it would be disastrous. And yet when I, when I sing it with the, the gifts of our musicians, alongside brothers and sisters in Christ, my soul soars and the Lord feeds me and nourishes me. We don't get that by ourselves. We come to church uh, not just for ourselves but what we mean to others and what we can do for others. It's why uh, going to multiple churches is probably not a good idea long term. Uh, I've joked about this with a couple of people here but but there's uh, some truth to it because if we go to multiple churches, it's probably because we're wanting to get things out of it just for ourselves. Sometimes there's a need for that. Sometimes there's a season in life where we need something extra or to be bolstered or encouraged. But if the main part is for what we can put into others, then you want to focus on a fellowship. Anyway, there's lots more we could say there, but secondly, the church is a congregation. The church is Christ's, the church is a congregation. Thirdly, a priority of church is the preaching of the word and the sacraments. Do you see that in the article? This is a very Anglican kind of article, but there it is. The visible church of Christ. Remember, it's visible here too. This is not talking about the invisible where all the body of believers from all down the ages who are raised up in the heavenlies. That's Ephesians 2. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the visible, which is the local congregations and the denomination. That's what we're talking about. But a priority of that church is the preaching of the word and the sacraments. The visible church of Christ is a congregation of faithful people in which the pure word of God is preached and the sacraments be duly ministered according to Christ's ordinance. The Anglican church has always placed a lot of significance 
on the preaching of the word and the administration of the two sacraments. What are the two sacraments? Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Those are the two. Now, it's not saying that the other parts of our gatherings uh, and meetings are not important. Prayer, important. Singing, important. Confession, important. Those things are, are, are kind of part of who we are. But there is a special importance in the preaching of the word and the sacraments. Why is that? Whenever God gathers his people, he speaks to them. And although in a service there's a lot of places where the, that speaking goes on as we sing words of scripture and as we hear it read, there's a special place that the preaching of the word of God holds. Uh, there is with the sacraments, the way God feeds us and nourishes us with the sacraments. I'm not going to say much on the sacraments because the next three weeks, next week we're going to look at the sacraments uh, as a whole, then the week after that baptism, the week after that the Lord's Supper from the 39 Articles. So I'm not going to say much about it. But these have been a priority. It's seen when a minister is ordained in the Anglican Church. When I was ordained as a presbyter, when anyone's ordained as a presbyter, you make a number of promises, but the key one in terms of your role is that you will preach the word faithfully and administer the sacraments appropriately. That's the most important task that we're, we're tasked with. Before chairing vestry, before visiting the sick, before... You could go on with a number of important roles, preaching the word, administering the sacraments. That is what ministers are set aside and trained to do because there's recognition that it can be done badly and when it's done badly, the body of Christ as a whole can suffer. Are those things done well today? I hope so, but I fear that not. I worry that sometimes some of what we call preaching is descended to kind of just personal opinions or funny anecdotes uh, that need to be wrapped up in a seven-minute maximum rather than the heart of what we do, pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. This article says we're to be preaching the pure word of God and uh, the sacraments. Again, I won't go into about how I think we can sometimes muck that up uh, because we will in the next weeks, except I will confess that my conscience has been pricked a lot this week over this uh, because I think I've failed our church family uh, in baptism. Uh, that's one of the two sacraments and we have not done much baptism over the last few years and the fact that we're out of our buildings and it's been a busy, stressful time is not enough of an excuse. And there are some people here this morning who've been asking me to baptise them for a long time and I haven't done it and I apologise. It's, it's, it's at the heart of who we are and uh, I should have done more on it, so I'm sorry. But there you go, there's the third one. Uh, the church is to be preaching uh, the word of God and um, uh, administering the sacraments. Again, if you ever leave Christchurch, go to another city or country and you need to look at another church, see what they do with the preaching of the word and the sacraments and you'll, you'll see a lot as to what's at the heart of who they are as a church. So the church is Christ, it's a congregation, it has the preaching of the word and sacraments at the heart of it. Fourthly, the church is inflexible and flexible. Let me explain by what I mean by that. It's inflexible in, certain, in one certain aspect and it's very flexible in others. Let me read out a couple more of the articles and see if you can pick up the repeated theme that is the inflexibility within the Anglican Church. Have a look at Article 20 behind me. Of the authority of the Church. The Church hath power to decree rites or ceremonies and authority in controversies of faith 
and yet it's not lawful for the church to ordain anything that's contrary to God's word written, neither may it so expound one place of scripture that it be repugnant to another. Wherefore, although the church be a witness and a keeper of holy writ, yet, as it ought not to decree anything against the same, so besides the same ought it not to enforce anything to be believed for necessity of salvation. Again, it's a confusing way to say it, but that last part it's just saying the church shouldn't um, do anything that's against what Scripture is saying, nor should it enforce on people something that the Bible doesn't say. That's what it's saying. Uh, we'll skip Article 21, Dave, if we can, and because um, it's communion this morning. We'll go straight to Article 34 of the traditions of the church. <clears throat> Have a look at this one. It is not necessary that traditions and ceremonies be in all places one and utterly like, for at all times they've been diverse and may be changed according to the diversity, di- diversities of countries, times and men's manners, so that nothing be ordained against God's word. Whosoever through his private judgment willingly and purposely doth openly break the traditions and ceremonies of the church which be not repugnant to the word of God and be ordained and approved by common authority ought to be rebuked openly that others may fear to do the like. As he that that hath offendeth against the common order of the church and hurteth the authority of the magistrate and woundeth the consciences of the weak brethren. Every particular or national church hath authority to ordain, change and abolish ceremonies or rites of the church ordained only by man's authority so that all things be done to edifying. Again, that's a mouthful, isn't it? I'm sorry. Do you see the inflexibility of the church in those articles? In all the articles about the church, the one demand repeated every time is that the church may not do anything against the word of God. Against the word of God. Again, it's the sense of that it's not a democracy. The church is not, the head of the church is not general synod. It's not a bishop. It's the scriptures that are the authority. Now, I do want to point out that doesn't make it simplistic. That does not make it simplistic. Often the scripture, I hope we know this as a church family because we wrestle with the scriptures together every week. Often the scriptures have a nuance and a spectrum that means we've got to discuss and debate and we have to search and study. Uh, do you notice where it said not expounding one part of the scriptures to be repugnant to another? That's recognition that sometimes people just throw out a verse as a proof text and they're not really kind of dealing with the scriptures as a whole, just using the Bible as a weapon. That can't be denied. But there's still a priority to the scriptures that nothing else has. And as I mentioned, that's stated repeatedly in each of the articles on the church. That's an inflexibility. We stand under the scriptures. That's not to be tinkered with. Inflexible. But do you see that alongside it comes a huge flexibility. In Article 20, the church is given the, 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 the authority to decree rites and ceremonies and rules and the controversies of the faith. That's developing new ones. That's putting together new services and structures and and things to do. Article 34 recognises that traditions and ceremonies will need to change depending on where in the world you are, what time in history you are, what the culture is around you. So there's scope, you see, to adapt and to, to develop new ways of doing things as long as they're biblical. I love the structure of the Anglican Church in that sense. There is a a solid, secure, inflexible foundation that is strong but with an edge that bends and moulds depending on what's needed or what works best. There's a principled pragmatism to it. Do you see that? If you just have the principle without the pragmatism, if you only have the pragmatism, not the principle, but if you have the two together, it's so important. 
The danger, of course, and I think we sometimes get into this as a church, is that we get them around the wrong way and we become flexible with what should be inflexible and we become inflexible on the things that should absolutely be flexible on. Does that make sense? We become flexible with what should be inflexible. So the scriptures suddenly get relegated beneath human thinking, beneath popular opinion, beneath, beneath the, the, the thinking of the day, synods or bishops or whatever else. No, 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 that's the inflexible and it must remain inflexible. But the other danger is almost as bad. We become inflexible with the things that should be flexible. Certain styles of service or music or ceremonies or ways of doing things. And we go, well, that must not change. Well, it can change. Now, I hope people here know me well enough to know I'm, I'm pretty old school when it comes to the I like the traditions and I'm not just in favour of chucking everything out and starting things again. But we mustn't become so wedded to stuff that it, becomes, that it puts up unnecessary barriers to the world hearing of the love of Jesus. We need to keep reflecting and reforming. Uh, a church will lose its anchor if it moves from the scriptures, but it will also lose its relevance and effectiveness if it fails to try and be, uh, suit the, the time and the place and the people that are around us. We should be immovable and inflexible on one, not simplistically, but with kind of thinking it through, but flexible on the other. Uh, I haven't got time to go on. The other thing, way, place my conscience was pricked personally here again is it tells off in chapter 34, it reminds us that as the Anglican Church, we change those flexible things together, not as individual congregations. Whoops. Uh, I've been pricked by that and I, I need to keep thinking and reflecting on that. But uh, I hope you can see, I, I haven't got time to carry on its communion. Uh, let me finish just again by reminding us of the first point, which is the most important. Despite our fallibilities and weaknesses, despite the fact that we will get sometimes things round the wrong way, the church is Christ's and the reading that Luke read out reminds us not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. When you're tempted to think that the church is weak or it's declining or it's dying, remember it's Christ's church. It will not. It's in his hands and he's the one who will not let go of us even when we kind of try our best to, to be let go of. I pray that you and I will rejoice more and more, not just in our own personal relationship with the Lord, but in the fact that he has brought us together as the body of Christ. He's joined us together as brothers and sisters in Christ, where we can gather together and serve one another, where we can hear the word preached and have the sacraments encourage our hearts and minds. May we rejoice in serving each other as we gather, as we church, as a verb. Let me pray. Father, I feel like it's um, been a bit rushed kind of thinking on this really important topic, but I pray that more than anything else we would be so thankful this morning that the church is yours. It's Christ's church. We thank you that, that uh, that's the name of our city, not just who we are as a church family. And we thank you that not, when we're tempted to think so lowly of the church and think it's so weak and brittle, let us remember it's yours and that not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. I pray that more and more we would seek to be faithful to you as the head of the body and that we would please you in all things. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.